Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael, Myself, or Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, April the 14th, 2016, and our calling number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. And Michael asked me to start the show out by playing the song Madness by Alanis Morissette. And so here we go. This madness to light 
great intro what a what an opening to the uh the work of forgiveness to uh to just hear how Alanis Morissette has put the ideas together of this work in a song that she wrote back in 2008 and you know I really shouldn't say that because I'm not 100% sure that Alanis wrote the song but she certainly sings it well and puts a, a beautiful uh twist to the energy of recognizing that if I have some form of hostility or fear happening in my life, I'm looking at myself and uh, I may pretend that it's you. I may want to be right. I may want to pretend that I know what the problem is and I can cross my arms and roll my eyes. But the truth is the madness in me lives on when you're not in the room. And if I want to live a life without madness, then I'm the one who has to own what's happening within myself and learn to remove that. You know, many people will say, well, if you're feeling that way, just don't feel that way anymore. You don't have a choice about it. If the cause of a feeling is in you, anything that can resonate that cause can seem to control you until you realize that the madness is in you and if you don't like functioning from it if you'd like to function from a higher level of intelligence then the tool that you want to acquire is the tool of removal a tool for removing your own madness and I started that out today because I I actually got a gift out of the show over the last couple of weeks of of adding a new piece we've got a uh, Uh, workshop we do called Getting the Stress You Need. And in that workshop, we introduce a schematic of the human mind. And that particular schematic shows 
three filters over the frontal lobes of the brain, shows three filters over the back of the brain, so three filters over intentions, three filters over perception, and that in each case, the activity of one of the three filters gives rise to a particular quality of perception. The insight or the, the gift that was given to me by being with this show and these, uh, these awesome folks who, uh, who interact on the show and share with us what's going on in their lives led to realizing that there was a piece missing from that diagram. And that was the piece, you know, we've got the intentions, we've got the perceptions, the filters that relate to those intentions and perceptions. But then the piece that hadn't actually been put in there previously, and it actually came from one particular conversation that happened a couple of weeks ago with one of the participants, uh, was the behavior that ties in with each filter. So we'll kind of do a, a full layout of the, the filter process and, and then add this new piece. You can find a copy of a picture of the filter by going to www.whyagain.org and scroll down a little to the middle of the page. You'll see a red and white bullseye. Click on the bullseye. It'll open a series of links. And if you just scroll down that link, you'll see a... Uh, I believe the title of it is a di a Filters, a Diagram. And that will give you, and I suspect that Jeannie, the way her, her mind works, is uh, sitting in there in the other room, and she's already looking up the link, so it will be in the notes for, for this show. Thank you, Jeannie, for your, oh, what can I say, your genius, your comprehensive comprehension, intelligence, wisdom, that just... Uh, puts so much together and makes this so much more available to everybody. Thank you, sweetie. So if you go back into the, uh, the first century Aramaic, you hear the man named Yeshua responding to a question much, much differently than the Greeks tell us he responded. He's asked the question, what's most important in the law? And remember we've talked about the idea that law is not the rule of a superior. Law is just the way things work. You know, if someone steps off a cliff, a cliff, there's no great god of gravity that says, I'm going to punish you when you hit the ground. There's no judgment involved. There's, there's nothing to do with that. If someone steps off the cliff, it happens. A certain series of events takes place. A cause is engaged, and along with the cause comes absolutely unavoidable effect. And so... When Yeshua answers the question, what's most important in the law? In other words, he's saying, here we are, folks, as human beings. The question you've asked me is, if you're going to be a human being, what's most important? How do you cause one to function as a human being? What's most important in doing that? Now, we're told by the Greeks that he said, love your, the creator, love your neighbor, love yourself. Not what he said at all. In Aramaic, the word that was used is the word rachma. In Rachma, it turns out, is a filter over intentions that has two purposes. Well, it's actually a filter and a gateway. What Rachma does is it filters out intentions keyed to hostility or fear, that is negative or destructive intentions, and allows only intentions keyed to love to be used by the mind. 
The reason that's important is because intentions are the raw material of our goals, and our goals drive perception and therefore behavior. So Rachman is important because it's a starting place of all behavior. It's a starting place of all perception. And it keeps perception on track with human life. The second function that Rachman has is that it is a gateway into which human life, love, if you've ever held a newborn, you know what a human life is. If you think back to that moment where you held a newborn and you described the essence of the newborn, the bottom line of tens of tens of thousands of responses to that over the years is, describe the essence of the newborn, the word is love. Is the newborn, when you hold the newborn and you say their essence is love, if is the newborn loving you? In no way, shape, or form is the newborn loving you. The newborn is love. So we get to clarify the definition of the word love here. It is a state of being. That state of being enters this human form when Rachma is active. There are two alternative filters that can be active that will block human life, will block love, and now we'll have a form that looks human but has no human life in it, and that form will be functioning out of some form of hostility or fear. So when Rachma is active, we have intentions keyed to love. Those intentions, short form, without going into great detail, those intentions are the raw material. They're the materials out of which we select and formulate our goals. So there's a quality to those intentions, and that's loving. And therefore, there's a quality to the goals, and that's loving. When that happens, there will be a quality to the perception driven by the goal, and the quality will be loving. The behavior of a mind with Rachma active in it is that of caring. That's what we're going to get out of Rachma. When a second filter, hostility, is active, then there's a certain quality of intention that is allowed to pass through the hostility filter in the mind. And that is destructive intentions. When the pool of intentions available from the frontal lobes of the brain are destructive, then the the goals based in those intentions have to come from destructive information. When one formulates a goal based in that destructive information, what happens is that goal drives perceptions and there's a corresponding filter over in uh, perception that comes into play. And there'll be a quality of perceptual construct or quality of the reality of the mind with that particular goal in activity. And the quality of perception in that mind will be that which is, when hostility is active, is irritating. So the person who's, you know, they, they said to Yeshua at one point, well, how do, you've been telling us all this. How do you tell where somebody's at? He says, you've got to look at their fruit. So if the fruit of your mind is irritation, you know that 
hostility is active. If the fruit of your mind is caring, you know that love is active. And the behavior that will come when there is irritation active, and this is the piece I want to add to that, uh, that uh, picture, the fruit will be vicious. The behavior for the person hostility will be some form of viciousness. And then the third filter over the frontal lobes of the brain that corresponds with rachma, only is an alternative filter, is that of fear. When fear is active, and remember the function of a filter is to block other frequencies and allow certain frequencies to pass. You know, if I'm sitting in a room that's, uh, you know, here I am in Florida and the sun is hot and the sun's driving in this room, this room just turns into a furnace. I can put a filter over the window. Now I can still see out. So I haven't stopped everything from passing through the window, but the heat rays for the sun are blocked. They're filtered out, and so the room doesn't heat up anymore. You know, you've got a, a filter on the windows of your car, and it blocks heat from coming in. So that's the function of a filter. It allows certain frequencies to pass and blocks others. So when fear is active... The quality of intentions involved in the mind are negative. And when negative intentions are the raw material available for goals, and each filter, when active, excludes the output of the other two. Only one can be active at a time. They change places in the 25th of a second, but they can only, there can only be one active at a time. So when there are negative intentions available a negative goal develops and when that negative goal is loaded in the mind becomes the driver for, for perception then the corresponding fear or pardon me uh, fear filter is activated over perception and now the only quality of perceptual reality available when the fear filter is active is that of being threatened so the person in f with fear driving their minds will, whoever, whatever they look at in the world, they'll use that data in order to feel threatened. Let's, let's use an example. We've all known the, the woman who, you know, she was five foot two, her husband was six foot five drunk, beat her all the time, and she lived in terror and trauma all the time. And so she was always feeling threatened. You maybe even helped her to get out of the house and get into a, a battered woman's shelter. And two weeks later, when her fear filter quieted down, literally we're talking about an energetic dynamic here, she called you on the phone and said, would you drive me back to my home because I want to go back to this man that I love? Her fear filter no longer active. She no longer, her mind no longer produces images of threat. So you reluctantly take her back home knowing what's going to happen. And 10 minutes later, she remembers exactly why she left. But she couldn't remember that when the fear filter wasn't active. She got back into that home and all of a sudden fear became active and threat. She was produced, her mind was producing realities of threat. And whoa, I remember why I left. And 
it to just to illustrate, to further illustrate the power and the activity of these filters. We also remember the situation we heard about where the little five foot two woman, they said something snapped in her mind and her six foot five husband wasn't a very happy camper when she got finished. <laughs> because once and, and nothing snapped in her mind, all she did was shift filters. She moved from the fear filter where her perceptual reality had a quality of threat to the hostility filter where it had a quality of irritation and she took him apart. She no longer stood in and watched what she was threatened by. Her irritation was active and all of a sudden she took him on. And it wasn't about something snapping in her mind. It was about shifting filters. When she got away, you know, for that two weeks, love became active again. And what she could see was what she loved about her object of attention, her husband. And what filters active tends to sort of, you know, people tend to forget about the activity of the other two filters. In fact, in a matter of seconds, somebody can move from a conversation talking about how irritated they are and how much they just hate somebody. And literally 30 seconds later, they're talking about how they cherish them, how they care for them. Oh, I would never do anything to hurt them. They're so wonderful. I'm so caring. I'm so loving of them. And they totally forget the other conversation took place. So, the behavior that goes along with the fear filter is that of being timid. So we've got three behaviors that go along with the three filters. Rachma produces caring behaviors. Hostility produces vicious behaviors. Fear produces those behaviors that one would classify as timid and somebody can shift literally in a 25th of a second from one to the other to the other and if you look at your and 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 remember this has got to do with the object of attention of the mind so one can turn their say for instance their vicious minds toward anybody I mean, you watch a parent who's got this newborn child. They're so cherished, they're so cared for. And then when you see the child in the hospital, you wonder what could have possibly happened that this parent did to this child. How is that even conceivable? If the child became the object of attention, when hostility was the active filter in the mind, and, you know, I just uh, watched a clip from an, an old Russian movie actually it goes back to 19 it was a 1926 movie of this you know at the time of the, the Russian revolution and you watch this and it's so classic we've heard so much of it over the years about how men used to function and sadly in some many cases still do used to function out of such viciousness and such rage toward their families so any object of attention will do for these filters. Whoever's there, whoever's focused on, they will be perceived as the cause of either caring behavior. Oh, you make me care so much for you. 
They will be perceived as the cause of vicious behavior. I just want to smash you in the teeth. Or we'll perceive them as the cause for our feeling threatened. You, you scare me so much. Can't you see how much fear I'm in? It's like, well, yeah, I can see how much fear you in. Did you ever think that you have a filter system and that fear is about the content of your own mind? It's not about your object of attention. It's never about your object of attention. And so when we see that connected to caring, hostility is connected to viciousness. And fear is connected to timidity. Then we start to see that the person who owns the mind is always in charge of what the quality of their perception is and what the quality of their behavior is. It is never caused from the outside world. It is never caused by the object of attention. And so when we learn to reset these filters, when we, we choose to stay connected to love, to keep this rachma, to make it a practice, to keep rachma active in our mind, we can look at what the average person would look at as the most threatening situation in the world and stand in a space of love for it. Stand in a space of caring for that object of attention. Now, many people will claim, I care for you so much. But by God, if you trigger my hostility, I will turn my vicious mind and my vicious tongue on you so fast that your head will spin. But two minutes later, when Rock is back, I'll say, oh, but I love you so much. And if you say the wrong word to trigger their hostility once again, they'll turn that vicious mind on you and rip you to shreds. Verbally, sadly, sometimes physically, emotionally. With the, new, the, the child, the youngest child, the spouse, the neighbor, the, you know, whoever the object of attention becomes of that mind. So we're here to empower people. You know, this, this fellow named Paul 2,000 years ago who, who didn't quite get how to, I mean, he, he knew it was possible, but he didn't quite get how to con- take charge of his own mind. He didn't understand the filter systems and the forgiveness processes, apparently, that Yeshua taught, because when the stress is up and the chips were down for this fellow named Paul, he says, and remember, this guy has been basically a killer. He, his job, which he seemed to enjoy doing, was going down and hunting people down for their religious beliefs that conflicted with his and killing them. I mean, that was Paul's job. He struck with this bolt of lightning, this presence of Rockman, this presence of love, and things shift. But, but they shift in his awareness, but not in his behavior. And he's not able to maintain it. So he says, in seeming frustration, why is it the things I would do? Like, I know about this Rachma thing. Why can't I do it? Why do I do what I hate doing? Because if somebody shows up that resonates his hostility, he's as vicious as he was before he met Yeshua. Or actually, he never met the man before he had that encounter. So the work becomes... Recognizing the fruit of our minds, if I'm vicious, if I'm timid, if I'm in rock, if I'm in caring, that my mind is on track and supports my human life or my mind detracts from my ability to function as a human being. And what we're here to do with this work is to support people living truly 24-7, 365 truly as caring human beings, looking at any object of intention, the person that would call the worst enemy in the world and standing as a space of love for them. Now, that's not a very 
politically correct stance because you can get your head shot off by your own general if you happen to have a loving behavior toward the so-called enemy that you're supposed to be shooting a gun at. Actually, there's a very interesting film that demonstrates that one so powerfully. It's called Joyous Noel. True story on the battlefields in 1819 in France when they called a truce. And once these guys start to realize, you know, they've been given the stories about these boogeymen that they're fighting. Oh, those Germans and the Germans. Oh, those Americans or those uh, Brits or what have you. And they meet on the battlefield. They exchange pictures and human interaction. And they begin to realize that they're humans, that they're not boogeymen. They've been trained to see each other through this fear and hostility filter by their governments. They've been trained to hate, and that training goes on today in its standard military issue. Be careful if you send your sons and daughters into that, because the chance of them escaping, the chance of them ever returning home again, capacity for rachma. And the being and the presence and the love that you knew them as is slim to perhaps none. It's time for us to wake up to what we're doing to our young people. It's time for us to wake up to why conservative estimates are, while we've been doing this show, just from the beginning of this show, that probably two young military people who've returned from military service in the last year have killed themselves during this conversation, have taken a gun or a knife or whatever it is and blown their own brains out because of what we did to them in training them to go fight the boogeyman. But anyway, joyous Noel, they exchange gifts with each other on the battlefield. They call a a truce. They help each other bury their dead. And then they go back to war. And when the allies hear the report that they've accurately located these people's bunkers, the Germans' bunkers, the ally general goes out with a, a white flag and goes over and he says, look, guys, I just got a message they're getting ready to blast you guys. They've got your location. Come over to our bunkers. And so all the Germans file out of the German bunkers and come over to the Allies' side. And sure enough, there's a bombing. And they would have been, many of them would have been killed. That's over. So the Germans go back. And of course, the Germans get the message that now that that's been located, they know the location of the Allies. And so the German, he goes out with a white flag on the battlefield and says, hey, guys. They're going to retaliate. Come over here. Come over here. And they go back to, and there's a song written about this. <sighs> they go back to the business of war. But true story, these men will not kill each other. They sheet over each other's heads, and their respective governments destroy them. The Germans were sent to the Russian front where they'd surely be killed when they wouldn't shoot and kill these people that they knew were people. They had found Rachma in their minds and perceived through caring eyes. 
Let's become humans again and support each other. Perceiving, yes, even the person we call enemy through caring eyes and creating a world where those caring eyes produce a literal energy called active present love that brings healing to everybody that they look at. And let's shift this world of insanity, the reason for this work. Now, whether the caring eyes you need to turn toward someone is toward your spouse or your child in any given situation or your neighbor or your employer or your employee or whoever or yourself when you look in the mirror, when you know how your mind works, you get to correct its errors. We're here to support the correction of those errors. And so I thank you for the opportunity to share that information with you. And uh, Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us today? He is, and he's on. Well, let's say hello to the young man. How are you, Tim? How are you doing, Mute Challenge, Tim? Are you with us? Well, I am. Oh, there you are. There you are. I heard that I was muted, and then I was unmuted, and then I was so... So we're here. I'm doing quite well, thank you. And... um... We didn't talk about it yesterday, but we had a group on Tuesday night, and we watched the first part of what what tends to be one of the more popular videos by Dr. Michael Rice in our groups. And I somebody asked me about it, and I said, "Well, I think it's probably because uh, it's not as triggering <laughs> as a lot of others." But we watched the first part of. Uh, Empowered to Heal. And um, hmm. we had that two brand new. Yeah. Yeah, we had two brand new people uh, visiting the, chat, the uh, group for the first time, and um, a couple people who hadn't been there in quite a while, and one person who was going through some serious um, back pain challenges. So he was very grateful to be there and hear about the healing energy, the empowered to heal process. And uh, then we had some discussion about that whole series of issues that get stirred up when we have to take full responsibility for what's going on inside of us and clean up our own energies before the world will look any different to us than it always has. And then uh, somebody did a very powerful worksheet, and we had uh, 15 people in the room by the time the worksheet was being done, so there's lots of loving support for that process. And um, and interestingly, this person was doing the worksheet needed or asked for some assistance on doing the worksheet because he'd recognized a pattern of getting shut down, going numb. And... Sometimes that's a very difficult pattern, that going unconscious or going numb is a difficult pattern to find out how to do a worksheet around it. So we helped him with identifying the thought first that kept running through his head that you know that he was beginning to realize that he was shutting down or that he'd gone numb. And then we backed up to the emotion and then came through the process and... It ended up being a very powerful uh, 
process for him and several other people in the group. So, so I, I suppose a, a tip for those who are looking for, for you know which which video to watch first. The first one would be why is this happening to me again, and maybe the next one would be <laughs> empowered to heal. So you can watch that and feel good and not get so triggered as many people do when when they're watching the the. Uh, healing through relationships and codependence to interdependence. So so it's been it's been a really interesting time in the past six weeks or so in the group because we've gone through Dr. Michael Rice's Why Is This Happening to Me Again, Healing Through Relationships and uh, Codependence, and then three weeks of Guy Finley work and now back on, on relationships, Guy Finley's uh, lectures on relationships, and now back to healing through relationships. So, I'm sorry, empowered to heal. So it's really stirred up a lot of stuff for people, and they're coming in and letting us know what's getting triggered for them, and giving everybody an opportunity to support them in dismantling what doesn't belong. So that's my input for today glad to be on the team glad to have the uh, capacity to have two separate support groups each week and uh, and i look forward to listening to the show again to let the brain cells build about the new piece that you are adding to the filters in the brain over rachma and kuba intention fabulous. and perception fabulous well it's uh it's a a gift and you know speaking about watching those videos Jeannie and I have been oh I can't count how many hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and this morning we were pouring over the uh, the second uh, uh, section of uh, Aramaicisms with our new videos so we're still working on the edits of those and so we uh, we're down to the last two hours of the, the new video series to edit and Actually, our, along with that, we've been doing some of the uh, getting time codes to cut out pieces of the videos to put on YouTube. And uh, I, I had the thought, and Ron uh, has, uh, Blakeney has been uh, uh, unemployed since January, and so I had the thought that he's, he's being house dad, that, uh, and with his work that he's done around these tools, that he might have the space, and he, I know he spends a lot of time with videos anyway, so I asked the question if he'd be interested in in uh, taking on the, the the time, looking at the time codes and cutting, deciding what pieces uh, will be cut out of each of the videos to, uh, in the four-hour, why is this happening to me again, to uh, to make available on YouTube, you know, as uh, as clips. And so he, he texted back that it would be a privilege for him to do that. So that's exciting because it'll free us up to uh, to take care of some other projects. But then a really fun text came back after he'd said that would be a privilege. And that was that his daughter, who's, I believe, 11 now, was there when that question was asked. And her response was not that it would be a privilege, but her response was that it would be an honor so it sounds like uh, Grace and Dad are uh, are going to be uh, 
selecting those YouTube clips to come out of the four-hour Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And uh, so we'll be seeing some uh, some new uh, YouTube clips. And for anybody who wants to watch, I don't know how many dozens are out there right now, and the dozens are about to become hundreds of minutes of uh, of YouTube clips. So if you go to whyagain.org, our website, on the right-hand side, there's a little button, a red and white button that uh, is with, uh, the last one in the social media list, and that's a YouTube link, and that'll take you right to our YouTube channel, and you can start watching those videos in the first hour, the full first hour of Why Is This Happening to Me Again is there. And uh, the PowerPoint presentation uh, that um, was done for uh, looking at the how-to of um, – the forgiveness process, how the mind works, and how the filter—you know—that whole thing, that 24-minute video. There's a link there, and uh, and dozens of others. So, so we thank you, uh, Ron and Grace, for uh, your willingness to uh, to pick up that project and take it off of our backs. And uh, so we're just kind of rocking along here. And uh, Jeannie, do we have anybody with a hand up in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room? Chat room is quiet, but I do have someone with a hand up. And it's area code 760. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, it's Anne in Alcala, Florida, from the intensive. Hey there, young lady. Welcome. Hey. Well, um, I have to say, I had an event yesterday at the dentist, and so I wanted some help. Um, Your offer... Um, if I could have done anything different while I was actually going through severe pain and stuff. But what Dr. Chen was just talking about, I go, oh, I would have loved to have been numb right through all of this stuff that was happening. (laughs) I hear that. But um, it didn't happen. So I just was doing a worksheet before the show on what I identified one of the things was anxiousness and fear because you know, the story was that she overdosed me with Novocaine because and she admitted that it went into the tissues of my throat. So I was panicked. First I thought it was panic, but it was actually anxiousness. Anyway, I got down to where Rachma showed me what was going on. Um, well, I wanted her to focus on me. She had other stuff going on. Um, so my goal was to focus on me as her patient. Um, and right. so holding love conscious, I um, wanted to um, her to stay focused on me as a patient. That's the goal. Okay, so then I, I felt calmer by the time I got down there and Ruka and my uh, love thing, and I go, um, I see that. So I was trying to figure out why was I so anxious, and it was sometimes it was panic, but I was trying to remember um, later it was severe pain when she was chilling with my tooth because it was a crown prep. And she had done a gingivectomy two months ago, and so we were waiting for the gum to heal, and so now was the day we're doing the crown prep anyway, and so it was bleeding a lot, and then she was like, anyway. So what I wanted to do with the anxious person, we'll go back to the severe pain. Um, so I get down to six, and I'm calmer, and then I asked Rebecca to show me to see that what, and I go, really, why was I so panicked at what, you know, had happened? And what I came up with that I was anxious because of the recent conversation with my daughter. She had broken out from tea tree oil when she was here. And 
And I said, oh, and she said, anaphylactic stress. And I said, so is that like anaphylactic shock where the these stings, you swell up in the throat and you can't breathe? And so that was in my carbon-based memory. So Because I was trying to figure out how could I, how could it be on me? And so that's what I came up with, that um, was, I had that recent thought in my brain that, oh, my gosh, you know, because I was having trouble swallowing. I actually got up and went to the bathroom and tried to clear what was going on in there. So when I came back and told her what was going on, she says, oh, well, it's in the tissues. And it's like, well, okay. And then she'd give me some stuff to stick down my throat on one of those um, Q-tip, long Q-tip swabs, and uh, it helped minimally. So in between, and then my... My gums were bleeding a lot, so she couldn't even get it stopped for on and off for 45 minutes before she could do a um, take an impression. But in the meantime, when she's stuffing that, so here, okay, so now I'm going to move to the severe pain. Oh, I know what I wanted. I wanted, how do I structure a truly loving goal out of that, the anxiousness? Well, and, well two, two things. First thing I'd invite you to do, just to look at when, just a question. I'll ask you just kind of take a breath and get centered. Let go of this whole event that you're thinking about for the moment to the degree you can. And just take a breath and get centered. And then when you were a child, how did it feel when your power person wasn't fully focused on you and taking care of you? I... What's happening with your breath? I'm going. I'm trying to blow it out. I'm. I'm tossed between my mom. I guess I have to lean more towards my stepmother. And what because feelings are there when you ask yourself that question? I there was there is fear about I'm trying to relate it to So is it possible that the fear slash anxiety that you were feeling tied into the opportunity to be letting go of some old anxiety and fear around not being taken care of properly. Okay, I'm right. Oh, not I can it be I it what comes seemed to come up though is that he wasn't not not so much taking care of me, probably, but my mother and the way he treated her. Mm. So, but that so was not, so, oh, perfect, yeah. So it sounds like then perhaps as a child you had a goal for your stepfather to be really focused on and taking care of your mother, and that didn't happen. Right, not in a loving way, anyway. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. 
Okay. So did okay. that relate in any way, shape, or form if, with your perception of your dentist having other things going on, not taking care of you in a loving way? And so, you know, just looking at remembering that the mind organizes things in files, information and energies in files, so to speak. So if in that file that's what's there, then the dentist today, years later, triggers those old brain cells. And, you know, when I say, where does this come from? If I can breathe, open the veil of my unconscious, I can perhaps start to see the root of some of those old energies. And that, in fact, today... This is an opportunity for me to be able to process that energy out and free my physiology of this anxiety. And so a loving goal in that situation would be to stay, you know, just for yourself, to stay connected to love and to free yourself of past offensive energies. So there could be a, a, a worksheet done on self with the goal of, you know, being able to free myself of carrying anxiety and to stay in a connected, loving space. And then the goal, you know, to, to see what the, the, the constructive goal that you had in this situation with the dentist would have been for her to be fully focused on you and taking care of you properly with all the skills she had. And then when you cancel that goal, the whole perceptual construct of her being the cause of the anxiety collapses and you get to drop into that next level where that anxiety has been stored, who knows, perhaps for generations. And so as you get to process that out, you can be more conscious. You can sit in a dentist chair and you can take a breath and you can lovingly, caringly connect to Rachma And that might be the point at which your behavior would change totally sitting in the dentist chair. And the new behavior, and put it in the context of the introduction we did, your new behavior in a caring space might be, you know, Doc, I can see that you've got a lot going on in your life and in the office right now, and you're really busy, too busy to give me your full attention. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a few minutes to just sit here and breathe because I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety and I'm going to invite you to go and take care of what else you need to take care of so that we can have a space together where you're totally, completely focused on me and taking care of me so that we get this procedure done as effectively as possible. And or, you know, I can see that there's so much going on in your life that, you know, or or in the office right now, whatever, that that we're not going to be able to effectively get this procedure done today, at least not safely for me. And so I'm going to suggest that we reschedule, and I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to reschedule and and make sure that it's at a time when, and this can be, you know, lovingly, caringly reaching out to her and saying, when, you know, you're going to have the time to be totally and the focus to be totally connected with me and my procedure and taking care of me. So, How's that work for you, Doc? All right, let's do it. Rather than out of fear, the response the child probably had watching, you know, stepdad not taking care of mom, the fear might have been like, well, gee, I'm so confused and so unconscious. I don't know what to think and what to say, and I'm not supposed to say anything because I'm just a kid. And So here I am sitting in the dentist chair perhaps 30 years later saying, you know, well, I'm just a kid. I can't can't think of what to say. So as I reconnect to Rachma, 
and the active presence of love comes through me, I'm able to stay connected to that mind of Christ in me, that mind of love in me that can take care of me and take care of her and heal my anxiety from any time in my life and perhaps in my genetics where someone hasn't been really there for me or for anyone of my ancestors. Does that fit and make sense? Yeah, that kind of took a little different turn than where I was going. Um, but, but I, That's I, what usually I happens when you un- uncover unconscious dynamics. It takes a different turn than you consciously thought it might. Okay, well, I have to say that while, the, okay, so the next thing was when she started, because I didn't say that, all I said was the little bit I said, which was that, hey, I'm choking and, you know, there's stuff going on in my throat. So she gives me this other stuff. Later when I'm in pain and she's shoving the cord around the, the thing and I'm going through all this and I'm laying there, you know, while the bleeding's stopping. So over a course of 45 minutes in and out where she changes the gauze, dealing with the severe pain, I went through trying to figure this out. I mean, I wanted to deal with the pain and I wanted, so I was thinking of the worksheet. And I was going down the worksheet, and at first I was saying, wait a minute, I didn't cause this pain, obviously, at the time, because I was saying, she's the one who, you know, gave me too much stuff, and so I'm choking, and I did sit up finally on my own and got rid of some phlegm, and which had a little bit of blood in it. But then, instead of like you're saying, because I hadn't dealt with all the anxiousness, had I dealt with the anxiousness first, then I have the other issues. I, I get that. So I'm just wondering if when you're in severe pain, and I know I'm new at this, so I was thinking about that. Okay. I'm only new at these worksheets, and um, I know Gail has talked about it, and others have talked about doing it in your head while you're going through the trauma. So I was able to get some breath in, although it was hard with this swallowing issue. I did get that some was breath the key in. There. Huh? That was what I was going to say next. There's in in a place yeah. where, you know, this is physical pain from a physical procedure, and it's accompanied by emotional pain from an emotional thing that's move energy that's moving in me. The most powerful thing you can do at that moment, rather than trying to figure it out, is to simply breathe. Right. You know, and okay. and and maybe perhaps even say we need to call a halt to this procedure for a minute, and I need five minutes to breathe. I need to breathe this stress and this trauma that's moving in me out of my field in order for me to be prepared to go to the next level of this physical procedure. And this, this applies in a you know, pure physical uh, situation as much as it would apply in a, a relationship situation or uh, you know, a financial situation or whatever in any arena. Okay, all right. So I was on the right track. I just need a little more work than totally pain-free because she had to give me some more Novocaine in order for me to tolerate it. But I was, because I couldn't say a whole lot, but I was making arm gestures and everything. So she knew to give me some more Novocaine. And, and then right. I I'm right. up this morning and then I dealt with it last night, um, you know, rinsed and did what I needed to do. But so, okay. So I was on the right track. So as I heal more. Absolutely. If it comes through, then I could, okay, got it. 
it's, right, well, it's a practice, it. you know, like any other set of skills. We learn the skills yeah. as we use the skills, and we enhance the ability to, to understand. You know, in the intensive that you did, we introduced a whole series of tools, and nobody becomes instant success and, and fully skilled at using each of those tools the day that they learn them. It's a practice, and as you right. apply them, you go, oh, that's how that Oh, I see. There you go. Oh, there's there's the beauty of, for instance, you know, a support group like Dr. Tim's talking about, and somebody comes in and they're just, you know, totally completely unconscious. Well, there's someone who can listen to their words. There's a support person, in this case, Dr. Tim, who is able to just feed back to this person until this person goes, oh, oh, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, and and you know, so it's a it's a skill set that you develop and. Everybody yeah. has to take the time to develop the skill set, and it sounds like you're doing awesomely well at it. Wow, and I have to say, just doing what I was able to do, I didn't leave there, you know, with any hostility towards her because I understand she was also dealing with her mom and the, a bill and the, the tech issues that were going on, so that's why she couldn't focus on me. And, and I felt... Good. I didn't feel hostility or anger or anything when I left there, and I only told my story once and only half of it because of my husband's reaction. So I just nice. knew that made it made a difference in working on that. That's so awesome. Thank you. Thank That's you. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I've actually had people who, for instance, have done an intensive. I'm thinking of one person in particular a couple of years ago who did an intensive and they had a therapist that they worked with had worked with for a couple of years and they went back home and the next session that they did with their therapist, when they went to pay their therapist, their therapist reached into their own pocket and took money out of their pocket and handed it to her and said, thank you. You did more for me than I did for you. So, you know, I mean, that's that's the kind of gift you can become for folks. So nice work. And we're down to the last few seconds, so I'm going to have to close the show out. If we uh, if we can support you any more with this issue, it would be awesome if you'd call back in tomorrow. And we can continue. Tomorrow will be uh, Friday, our last show for the week. And in the meantime, uh, I'm, I'm delighted that the skills are fitting in your world and the practice is bringing them into full fruition for you and making them available to others. And thanks for joining us. Blessings. Bye-bye.